from this pulpit, and it's probably going to come out more in a teaching format. But uh, that being said, uh, I believe the subject matter today is very important. I also believe that for some here, it can be a very elementary subject. And uh, I believe that if that, is, if that happens to be you, I, I would ask you then to be in prayer throughout this message, praying that the individual that God has ordained this message for, that they would have revelation and that they would have understanding today. Amen. Amen. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about eternity. We, sing, we just sang the song, Going Up Yonder. There's a process to getting there. Amen. It's just not name it and claim it, friends. Amen. There is a process to making heaven your home. Amen. And so I hope today from the word of the Lord, not my words, I'm going to use scripture and we're going to be covering a lot of scripture here and it's, it's, we got about roughly an hour and I hope we can cover it all because it's very important. If you are here and if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, if you have not received the infilling of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues, I implore you, amen, I implore you to give attention today to the word of the Lord, amen. I would even advise you that if you've got pencil and paper, get it out, take some notes, go home, study what is said, what is preached here today from the word of the Lord, amen. As you can see my topic today is apostolic doctrine matters. Apostolic doctrine matters. And I hope to break it down here from the word of the Lord in an understanding way. You know, it, it's, it's, it's almost heartbreaking. And I have grown up in the church and as a kid uh, from birth uh, until today. I have been a part of the apostolic church. I did not receive the Holy Ghost. I never made a move to receive the Holy Ghost until I was the age of 19. Uh, but I saw, you, 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 I'm sure as parents, you have raising your children, you have come at some point to realize that when it didn't seem like that little Johnny or little Susie was paying attention to much of what was going on around them, you somewhere down and through time, you realized they were paying attention more than you thought they were. And they were taking in more than you realized. And as growing up in the church, I, 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 I took in a lot. I watched a lot. I analyzed a lot. And I, I, I cataloged a lot of it in my memory. And uh, it, uh, looking back and reflecting back about uh, over the last 30, 40 well, I'm 57, 50-some years. Uh, the, the world is a lot different today. The world approaches religion uh, and Christianity a lot different today than they did 40 or 50 years ago. Amen. We are up against uh, one, of the, one of the things that we're up against, and it, it, it somewhat is grieving to me, and I can only imagine how that it must grieve God is those who are falling in that category 
of uh, generation, generation X age group and the millennials. Uh, th- th- there's, there's this, uh, uh, seemingly there's this uh, purveying uh, mindset to question truth just in general terms. Uh, many of those in that age group, in them two age groups, they will tell you that there is no absolute truth. But I'm here to tell you today from the Word of God, there is absolute truth in His Word. Amen. Uh, when, when, and, and so now what we have uh, from this purveying uh, uh, belief that is going, that is seemingly rampant amongst these two generational age groups we have new age churches that are springing up and their, their beliefs are, uh, in some ways, they're way off from what this book teaches. Uh, some of them, and the seemingly, uh, the common belief is, well, you just believe whatever you think is right. You just do whatever you think is right. Amen. If, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, if you believe the word, if you believe God, you have to believe the word of God. If you believe in God, you have to believe in his word. If you truly believe in God and you truly believe in his word, then you will begin to practice it. You will begin to emulate the teachings in his word for Christian living. Amen. You will begin to practice it. Amen. When you begin to practice it, what are you doing? You are putting your faith in the word of God. Amen. So, Why so many questions when it comes to truth and the Word of God? I'm sure you've heard some of the questions like, why so many faiths? Why so many beliefs? Why so many denominations? Uh, Maybe the question, can you be a devout believer and yet be sincerely wrong? Does it matter what you believe if you are sincere? Is doctrine important according to the Bible? And I'm sure there's some of you, if not many or all of you, who have heard these questions. So, today, I hope to bring some answers to these questions by looking at what the Bible says. Before before God created man, God had a plan. It was from the foundation of the world. And that plan uh, would go to um, uh, the death, burial, and the resurrection. It, 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 It would ultimately lead God's plan would lead to the death, the burial, the resurrection, which we know, many of us know, as the gospel. And the application of that is repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Apostolic doctrine and the gospel, as far as I'm concerned, is synonymous. 
I don't believe you can separate the two. And hopefully, from what we're going to be looking at here today, if, if you're not sure about that, you will see how that I am making that statement. So doctrine. And, and a few weeks ago, uh, I, I began to, I, I can't even get, begin to remember what it was that sent me on this journey of thinking. I, I just, my, my attention was honed in and brought to the word doctrine. And I began to look at that. I began to study that. And I began to uh, I, I just, just want to know and understand what that word doctrine meant. And those of you who are friends with me on social media, you probably saw, if you pay attention to anything I post, you probably saw that I posted a little blurb about doctrine. So doctrine, what is it? And you see from up here on the screen, I have, and I'm going to have a lot of things on the screen this morning. But doctrine, you know, I, I have to confess to you that when, when before I began to study this word, I thought that it, it was the plan of salvation. I thought in, in, in a direct sense, but really doctrine is just teaching and instruction. Teaching and instruction. Modern religion today diminishes doctrine. The, the, the generation X and the millennials, many of them will, they'll scoff when you mention doctrine. Because they have to, it's, it's something that they have to, to say that they believe in God, it is something, it is a teaching, it is an instruction that they must adhere to. And our, that generation, many of them don't want to adhere to a set of guidelines or teaching or instruction. The Apostle Paul, he placed emphasis on doctrine. He mentions the doctrine 23 times in his epistles, 13 of which was to his son in the gospel, Timothy. Let me show you some things that Timothy, and we'll start off with what Paul said. If we'll go to the next slide. He wrote to Timothy, and he admonishes Timothy, take heed unto the doctrine. And he tells him why. You will save yourself and those who hear you. You will save yourself. Doctrine, through instruction, through in teaching, you will save yourself and the people that will hear you. Second John, next one, Second John, verse 9. Whosoever transgress, transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Pretty cut and dried. And then I go to Acts chapter 2 after the, on the day of Pentecost after the Holy Ghost was poured out and Peter preaches his first message. We find in verse 42, they continued steadfastly. Who? The people. The people that were there. The people that heard. The people that experienced the outpouring. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So that, just, just in those scriptures, I hope, demonstrates to you the importance and the necessity of doctrine. When you go back to Jesus, when he began his ministry, he chooses out 12 men. And he didn't 
choose out these, this group of 12 men just so he wasn't lonely. He had a plan. He had a purpose. He had a mission. And he taught them. He taught them through parables, through direct teaching, through performing miracles, signs, wonders. He was putting something into them. Because there was going to come a day, the plan of God was that there would be a day that the resurrected Jesus Christ would ascend back into the heavens and who was left to carry on the message of Jesus Christ. And so he chose these 12 men out for that purpose and for that reason. At the ascension, you can read in Acts chapter 1, he says he admonished that they are admonished, go and wait for the promise. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. Amen. To have the authentic saving message. I submit to you today that we have got to teach and we have got to live what the first church preached and taught and practiced. Amen. I've had people tell me, they said, and I remember particularly one time a guy, a supervisor on, a, uh, on the job, he one day said to me, well, you're just too black and white. Well, I know he didn't mean that in a good way. But I took it as a compliment. Amen. Yes, sir. I took it as a compliment. Uh, I hate Gray. It's confusion to me. I, I, I want things defined. I, I, I want to understand what is being said or what is being required. What I am supposed to do. The job that I, the, the field, the uh, uh, trade that I work in, I am uh, uh, in commercial construction project management. And all of our jobs... We are given a set of plans. We are given a set of specifications. And those specifications, if it's any size of a job at all, sometimes they will be at least that thick, one volume, at least that thick, as thick as this Bible, and sometimes it will be two volumes that thick. And everything, every requirement about that job, down to the very products, the very manufacturers that you are allowed to use, the very processes in which you are to uh, complete your work is listed within those volumes. And I, as a project manager, I pride myself on trying, making sure that we are doing our work within the architects and the design engineers' uh, uh, specifications. Why is that? Why, why are we given this document? It is so that... Uh, it's in black and white. There's sometimes in a meeting when it comes up, well, why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that? Or why didn't you provide this? Why didn't you provide that? Well, uh, uh, we didn't. It's, it's in, and the, the, the design team will go, they'll say it's in the specs. Right. It's in the book. Right. Well, I, I didn't see that. Show me. And they'll flip the pages and more than not, there it is. It's in black and white. I don't like gray things. 
Gray erases the lines of demarcation. Amen. Amen. There is nothing gray about the plan of salvation that is in this book. There is no confusion whatsoever about how you, what you must do to be saved. It's in the book. It's in black and white. It's clearly defined. It's up to you to seek it out. It's up to you to seek revelation. And if you can't fully understand it, uh, that's where you've got to talk to God. You've got to have some, you, and I'll show you some, a man in the scripture that did just that. Uh, uh, he had a heart for God, and, but yet there was something more that he needed to do. Uh, uh, and so... Uh, uh, if you're finding yourself in that situation where that you, uh, uh, you, you you're, you're, you're confused maybe in some ways, uh, I'm telling you, friend, if you will just begin to talk to God and if you will begin to pray and if you will begin to seek Him and ask Him uh, to give you insight and give you direction, uh, I'm telling you there is a God in heaven uh, that wrote this word through the holy men of old. Uh, amen. He will bring to your life re- revelation and understanding he'll lead you into all truth amen to get salvation right you got to do it like the apostles did it to be like the first church we've got to align with their teachings and with their actions Jesus warned that there would be false teachers told his disciples, he said, by their fruits you shall know them. In other words, watch them. See what they produce. By what they put forth, you will know them. What they teach, what they preach, what they practice. Matthew 7, if we can put that up there on the screen. Jesus said this as he was teaching his disciples. He said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Did you catch that? Everybody that professes Lord, Lord, everybody that professes Jesus Christ, he said, is not going to make it to heaven. Let me break it down. As you look at that scripture, and as you read through that, we find in this scripture, he says, many will say, Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not in your name cast out devils? Have we not done many wonderful works? But look what Jesus says. Then will I profess, I never knew you. Depart from me, you you that work iniquity. Everybody that is claiming to be doing great things in the name of Jesus Christ is not necessarily ready to go to heaven. You say, how? Then what are we supposed to do? How can I make sure that I am right? I point you to 2 Timothy chapter 2 up on the screen where Paul, I really like how Paul, we have 
First and Second Timothy, because the, the, this was Paul's writing, and much of it was instruction to his son. He calls him in the gospel, and he gives Timothy uh, instruction about godly living and principles. And he tells Timothy in the scripture, he says, study, study to show thyself approved. And he even goes as far as to say, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let me just pause here a minute. Friend, you, you, can't, you can't even get off of square one until you accept this book as truth. Amen. You have got to, there is no contradictions. You have got to, you've got to admit to yourself. There is no contradictions in the word of God. Amen. And so you have got to receive the word of God as truth if you are going to accept the plan of salvation as it is written in this book. And so Paul's telling Timothy, study son. Study the word. Rightly divide the word of truth. And you will find, you will prepare yourself. You will, you will understand. You will have revelation of what is in the word of truth. No prophecy is given of private interpretation. Second Peter chapter 1. I put this one in there in the Amplified Version for the simple reason that it helps. It says the same thing as what you would read in the King James Version, but this version helps you understand what is being said. So we have the prophetic word made once, made uh, more certain. You do well to pay close attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and light breaks through the gloom and the morning star arises in your hearts. But understand this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of or comes from one's own personal or special interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Not a private, and Scripture is not a private interpretation. You say, well, then how am I supposed to know what is being said? How am I supposed to understand it? You take scriptures, Tim, as, as Paul wrote to Timothy, and he admonished Timothy, rightly divide the word of God. You let Scripture interpret Scripture. You, let, you, 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 you read something in Scripture, you, you, somewhere else in the Word of God, you will be able to find something that correlates to what you have just read. And then beyond that, let me go back to what I just said a few minutes ago. If you find yourself really stumped and not fully understanding, if you will pray for revelation, God will bring you a revelation of what you are not understanding. And let me just throw in, too, you find yourself stumped on something, that's why you have a pastor. Amen. Go to your pastor. 
take that scripture to your pastor. And many times you will find your pastor will have the answer that you're looking for. So what did Jesus say about truth? I'm going to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we have the story where Jesus, he is in Samaria. He comes to the well, and I believe it was Jacob's well. And he sits down along the well and, and uh, on the rim of the well. And so along comes a Samaritan woman. And he asks her for a drink of water. And that engages a conversation. And for time's sake, I'm just going to just skip over, just pick up the highlights of what was said there. And so as they are conversing, uh, he, Jesus says to her, True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Truth. There's that word truth. When you go to John chapter 17, we find that Jesus is praying and as he is praying he's praying for his disciples at this moment and the believers and in verse 17 we find him saying sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth friend you cannot get off square one until you accept the word of God as truth it is a must. So what is truth? And that is seemingly with many of the generation Xers and the millennials, that is the question that they have in their mind. And they grapple with that. And because they grapple with it, they are rejecting it. They are rejecting that there is truth. Someone may say to you, well, <clears throat> truth is just what I believe. It's all, it, 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 it's all I've got to do is believe. Let me give you, and I don't have these on the screen, so, uh, but just let me give you some scriptural references about believing. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. John 3.16, that we all probably hear the most, quoted to us from people that say, all i got to do is believe. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 6 and 47, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And then one of the most famous ones that some denominations hold to is Romans 109 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, I'm not telling you, please don't misunderstand me, that I am telling you that you do not have to have faith to be saved. To the contrary, you do. You must believe you must have faith to be saved. But what I am telling you is that having faith is believing. But it's not just about believing, but it's also about doing. James wrote and said that faith without works is what? Dead. 
dead on arrival. Faith without works is dead. So what did Jesus say then about believing? Did he equate solely believing in itself to salvation? Mark 1 on the screen. Jesus is teaching people to believe in the gospel. He says, now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Going to Mark 16, Jesus again mixes repentance and believing when he says that he that believeth and is baptized shall be. Now we have baptism added to the believing equation. It's not just about believing. Believing in itself is not going to grant you salvation. Jesus is saying here, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Going to John chapter 7. We find that Jesus makes the statement here. In verse 38, He that believeth on me, the scripture has said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that, what? Believe on him should receive. Now we have Spirit. Jesus, we find, we have read Scripture here where Jesus speaks. He he equates believing to uh, also repentance, water baptism, and receiving the Holy Ghost. So what did the apostles then? What did they teach? Philip, uh, Philip we find in Acts chapter 8. Philip, uh, he has an encounter with a unique encounter. As he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch who is riding along in his chariot. And uh, he sees that this eunuch is sitting there reading reading, and I believe he's reading out loud from the Word. And uh, so Philip jumps on with him. He asks him, he says, you understand what you're reading there, buddy? And the eunuch says, how can I accept somebody explain it to me? And it gave Philip the opportunity to preach Jesus to that Ethiopian eunuch. And as he was preaching the gospel to this man, he heard something as he was listening. He realized in his heart, I've got to be baptized. He looks out and he sees water and he asks Philip, there's water, what's what's stopping us? And when you read what Philip, his response, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. 
And the Ethiopian eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. And he says, what's stopping? What's stopping us? They stop that chariot. Philip baptizes that eunuch in water. Going to Acts chapter 19. Paul is in Ephesus. And when he gets there, he begins to ask some probing questions. And I have highlighted the questions in yellow. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? There it is, believing. Believing. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you have believed? Well, we don't even know that there's a Holy Ghost in so many words that they responded well, then, unto whose baptism were you baptized? Well, we were baptized in John's baptism. And Paul explains to them John's baptism what was the baptism of repentance. And after they hear Paul's explanation of the difference of water baptism from John to this point, they receive and submit themselves to water baptism. Going over to Ephesus, or Ephesians, and one of the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote, there was a scripture that uh, fits in very well with this. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, In whom ye have trust, also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. After you have believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Anybody familiar with one of the words that he used there? Promise? He told him to go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise. So believing according to the scripture will not in itself save you. I can, I, I, I can express that I believe many things. I believe myself. I, if, if, uh, let me put it this way. If somebody came to this country and they were an immigrant from another country... And if they told you that they believed that they were a citizen of the United States, even though they were from another country, that does not make them a citizen. There is a process by which they have to go through to have United States citizenship. And I am telling us here today, according to the Word of God, there is a process for heavenly citizenship. Amen. Amen. One story that probably many are familiar with is Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, he comes to Jesus during the night, <clears throat> engages with Jesus in conversation. And uh, in this conversation, he, he acknowledges, he says, you're a teacher from, has come from God, and no man can do the miracles that you're doing except God is with him. But Jesus kind of just 
bypasses that statement and he gets down to the heart of the matter. He says, Nicodemus, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused now. He's thinking the natural birth. How am I going to go back into my mother's, and me, me, an old man, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus again responds, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then we find he makes the statement, he makes the admonition to Nicodemus, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. What was he saying? He was saying, Nicodemus, don't try to uh, 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 figure this out in your humanistic way of thinking. Don't wander on it. Just accept it. Just receive it. John, going back again to John 7, verses 38 and 39. Again, he that believeth, he that believeth on me. Amen. That water, except you are born of the water, except you are born of the Spirit. He that believeth on me, the Scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he spake of the Spirit, amen, which they that would believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost had not been yet given. But yet he was laying the groundwork for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost when he told Nicodemus, you must be born of the water and the Spirit. No exceptions. I know that some say that there's no absolutes in the Word of God. Friend, I'm telling you, that is an absolute. Except, must. There's no wiggle room there. There's no gray area there. Except, you must. And so then, from there, the next step would be, well, so how, how was this practiced? How was this implemented? How did the apostles do this? In Acts chapter 1, putting that up on the screen, and we read, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passions by the many infallible proofs seeing, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart to Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. And off he went. Now this thing was in the hands of of the apostles. It was up to them to pick the ball up and run with it. I, I, can, I, I can get a mental image of them standing there trying to figure out what they just saw with the ascension of Jesus Christ. What was this? What, and 
Scripture tells us two men in white, angels, came and said, what are you waiting on? You heard what he said. I'm paraphrasing. You heard what his instructions was. And off to Jerusalem they go. In Acts chapter 2, we have the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. They're in the upper room. They are praying. They're having a prayer meeting. And the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that had not yet been given was poured out in that upper room on the day of Pentecost. Let me just draw your attention to some, some portions of this account. We do hear them speak in our tongues. That was a statement that was made. Uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, in those scriptures up there, but we do hear. And there may be, go to the next slide. I think there's other scriptures with this. Yes. We do hear them speak in our tongues. There were people from other surrounding countries of other tongues, other languages. They were there, and they were hearing people who were not of their native land speaking their language. What meaneth this? What does this mean? That was their question. What meaneth this. They wasn't asking about repentance. They wasn't asking about water baptism. They were asking about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that was evidenced by the people there speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So Peter reaches back, picks up the prophecy of Joel in chapter, Joel chapter 2, explains it to them. And then we have verse 38, where Peter then responds to the question of the people, what must we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So now you are seeing, they are beginning to practice what they had been taught, and what Jesus had put into them. When you go to Acts 8, back to Acts 8, and Philip, when he goes down to Samaria, we find the people there, they heard the message, they heard, they saw the many great miracles that was taking place. And as a result, the Scripture tells us, there was great joy. There was a euphoric atmosphere. Amen. You know, I've had people come down to the altar and pray, and, and they, were, uh, they became emotional in a joyous way. And, and, and they, 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 they felt the, a weight was lifted off of them, and we don't deny none of that. But that was not the Holy Ghost. Feeling joyous is not the Holy Ghost. And these people, they felt that joy. And when you go to Acts 8.12, we find where it says, but when they believed Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Well, Paul, uh, uh, Peter and John, they want to get in on the action. 
And so they come to Samaria, and they pray for them to receive the Holy Ghost. They lay hands on the people. Guess what? They received the Holy Ghost. Acts 10, Cornelius and his household. Now, Cornelius, you have to understand, Cornelius was a devout man. He was a believer. He practiced his faith. But there was still something missing. When I spoke to you just a minute ago about when you find yourself in a situation where you don't understand Scripture in a certain way, when I said pray for revelation, Cornelius received revelation. Scripture says that he was a devout man. It tells us that he gave alms. It tells us that he prayed. He, he was a believer, that he was a devoted believer. And in his time uh, of devotion, he had a vision. And in this vision, the Lord spoke to him, told him, said, send men down to Joppa. There's, told him the address and everything where there was a man named Peter. Uh, have them go down there and, and, and connect with him and bring him back up here to your house. And so to, to fast forward, that's what happens. That's what takes place. He sends men to Joppa. They retrieve Peter. They bring Peter and his uh, Jewish friends back with him. Uh, uh, back to Cornelius' house. Peter walks in, and uh, uh, Cornelius begins to explain his vision. Well, what happened in the meantime, Peter had a vision also. And in this vision, Peter saw where that, uh, 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 there was unclean things that were let down. And out, out of this vision, the Lord basically let Peter know that he was not a respecter of persons. And the result was when Peter, after he heard uh, Cornelius' testimony, Peter begins to preach. And he begins to preach Jesus. And while Peter's preaching, the Holy Ghost fell. The Holy Ghost fell on Cornelius' family. We find in verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues. Let me just stop and pause here a minute. This is just, if you, if you have never received the Holy Ghost, let me just admonish you when you pray for the Holy Ghost and when you begin to feel that utterance come upon you. Scripture even talks about with stammering lips. And when you feel that coming on you, and you begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance, don't be satisfied with just a little bit. You need to pray in tongues. You need to rejoice in tongues. Amen. You need to, what, 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 why is that important? Because you are drinking in to your spirit. Amen. That spirit of God. I'm going to tell you why. There's going to be a devil that's going to meet you the next day when you wake up and he's going to try to sow doubt in your mind. You just got kind of tongue-tied and you just kind of got all beside yourself and you just kind of got emotional and, and you just really just made yourself look like an idiot. Hey friend, I'm telling you if you get enough Holy Ghost down in your soul and in your spirit, you can look the devil in the eye and you can tell him you're a liar, you're the father of every lie. I get behind me, Satan. I know what I experienced. So they heard them. 
the people around there, the observers, and particularly in my mind, Peter's Jewish buddies, heard them speak with other tongues, magnify God. Then Peter asked them the question, Can any man forbid water that these should not, not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know. I think Peter kind of knew that he was going to be in a little hot water. Because when you go to chapter 11, his Jewish buddies called him on the carpet. What are you doing down there with them Gentiles? What are you down there eating with them? What are you down there hanging around with them Gentiles for? Because there's people that will tell you that the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues was just for the Jews. No, wrong. We saw the the Gentiles of Cornelius' household, they received the Holy Ghost. And then in chapter 11, when Peter's called on the carpet, here is his response that he rehearsed. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? He's like, I couldn't stand in their way. This was a God thing. I'm getting close to winding up here. Paul, in Acts 19, he goes to Ephesus. We touched on it a little bit ago. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? We don't even know that there is a Holy Ghost. What, what, what baptism we baptized? John's baptism. He explains it to them. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them. They spake with tongues and prophesied. If the music will come, I am telling you, according to the Word of God, according to this true book, you must be born again. Except you be born of the water and of the Spirit. You must be born again. There are no exceptions. There are no gray. There's nothing gray about this. Amen. We are either in obedience or we are not in obedience to this word. And the bad thing, there are consequences for those who do not obey. I'm not going to read it all, but 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verses 7 through 12 talks about when the Lord returns in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who have not obeyed the gospel. Pure and simple. When you go to Revelations chapter 20, if we can stand. We read that the small and the great 
stand before God. The books were opened. What books? These books. In another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So not obeying will have consequences. Apostolic doctrine matters. It matters. Apostolic instruction, apostolic teaching, it matters. Because as we already have read what Paul wrote to Timothy, it will save you and those who hear you. As I was praying and I asked for direction for the service this morning and felt this, I began to pray specifically on this message. The Lord impressed me that there very well would be people in attendance today who would hear this message. You have experienced water baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, but for whatever reason, you have drawn distant. You have become cold in your relationship with God. But what I was impressed with was that if that person would renew themselves, receive a refreshing, receive a renewing of the Holy Ghost in their life, that, the, that you would have family members who would follow you. You would have family members follow you. You could lead your family by recommitting yourself, by reconsecrating yourself, by being renewed in the Holy Ghost, you could be the leader that brings your family into the church, into the ark of safety. Because there's the day when He's coming back is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Have you been born of the water? Have you been born of the Spirit? Accept Accept, accept. Amen. Before we come to the front, I pray the Holy Ghost is talking to somebody here this morning. You realize that you need to be born again. I'm asking you this morning, if you're feeling that call, I'm asking you to step out and come down to this altar for an altar of repentance. Begin the process of being born again, of being born of the water and the Spirit. Amen. Let's sing.